I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now we're going to turn to Psalm 139. Has anybody here had their favorite psalm preached by their favorite pastor on Easter? <laughs> this, this, is, this is great. This is God's word this morning. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Oh, Lord. You hem me and behind me, before me. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Thank you, Jim. Well, I believe uh, that revival is coming to America, uh, where people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be surprised by the presence of God. Kind of like what I wrote on the back of the bulletin. Can you imagine the women going to the tomb? And he's not there. Surprise. And then on the way back, they run into Jesus. And they didn't recognize him. He said, greetings. They thought he was the gardener. Surprise. That evening, behind locked doors, the resurrected Christ came to the disciples. Surprise. A week later, the resurrected Christ appeared to the disciples, this time with Thomas. Surprise. And Jesus has been surprising people ever since. I think of the two on the road to Emmaus. They walked with this Jesus, and they didn't even know who he was until he broke bread with them. And the Bible says he made himself known to them in the breaking of the bread. And they said, didn't our hearts burn when he opened the scriptures? Have you ever been surprised by the Lord? I hear Muslims are getting surprised in dreams, that God is giving them a dream 
and it's like Jesus in their dreams, and, and some of them are coming to Christ. Jesus is alive, and he's still speaking to people, and maybe he's speaking to you today. On Easter, I have a habit of, um, I just feel like I want to give you a chance to give your life to Christ. You know, you may have been believers for a long time, and you just want to make another public confession of Christ. I want, I want to give you an opportunity to do that, and I always have you sign my Bible, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you do that at the end of this service. If you want to make a commitment to Christ, if you feel his presence, you know, he said he would be here. I mean, do you feel his presence? I did when I listened to Ingrid talk and testifying of Jesus and God in her life and how God was working and forgiving and challenging and all that stuff. And I bet you you might have a testimony too. But he said he would be in our midst when we meet in his name. Just two or three. It doesn't have to be 200 or 300. Just two or three. He said he would be there. And you just might get surprised today. If you give your life to Christ, he might surprise you. So, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I mean, those are great questions, are they not? Do you ever think about that? The presence of God sometimes... I feel and sense God's presence so strong. I find myself sometimes weeping and I don't know why. And I don't have a mental disease. <laughs> I felt that many times, like riding my bike in the summers or just overwhelmed by the presence of God. Sometimes I've walked into this sanctuary and I sense the presence of God. It just seems so thick and real. Sometimes I listen to a message or I'm in conversation with somebody and I get what my mom used to call Holy Ghost goosebumps, right? You get the witness. You ever get the witness? Sometimes I have felt great conviction to do something or to repent of some sin in my life, and I know it's the presence of the Lord. Sometimes I have felt like a huge weight has been taken from me, some burden, some worry, and I have this joy, really, that's un, you know, unspeakable and full of glory. In a natural, it would be like the Cubs winning the World Series again. Huh? Again. You know, great freedoms and expressions of praise and victory. I know it's the presence of the Lord. Mary and I have been prayed for by people. And it seems that the presence of God is so real and present and strong that your legs almost get weak and you just fall over in his presence. Sometimes I've been in my chair at home with my Bible open and God takes his word and just overwhelms me with truth overwhelms me with truth. It's that personal word from God, that rhema word, and I know it's the presence of the Lord. Someone shared with me this week about being in his car, you know, very concerned about an issue in his life, and this song came over the radio and spoke directly to his situation. He said it was like God was singing to me. <laughs> I call that the Zephaniah three seventeen encounter. The Lord is with you. He's mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You talk about the presence of the Lord right there in the car. And to be honest, sometimes I don't feel the presence of God at all. But I know he's there. And that's one of his names, you know. Jehovah Shammah which means the Lord ever-present. Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? After Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to hide from the presence of the Lord and God drove them out and just banished them from his intimate presence because of sin. And after Cain killed his brother Abel, the Bible says that he went out from the Lord's presence and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And the whole Bible is the story of how God has made a way for God and man to have that Garden of Eden relationship. That closeness, and it's only through the cross. It's only through the blood of Jesus and the mercy of God and the grace of Jesus so that we can experience the truth of the last two verses of the second to the last book of the Bible, Jude 24 and 25, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. And so you're getting hungry, really, for the presence of God, even desperate for the presence of God, not just to know about him, but to actually experience his convicting, comforting presence, his fearful, awesome, loving, joyful presence. Psalm 100, come into his presence with singing. With joyful songs, David wrote, in thy presence is fullness of joy. After committing adultery with Bathsheba, he wrote, cast me not away from thy presence, O God. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. My prayer is that more and more here at Calvary, as we experience this true heaven-sent revival that is coming upon our land, that we would experience individually and collectively a greater realization and manifestation of the presence of God, and it's going to happen. That we would exclaim what Jacob exclaimed after God gave him that dream where he saw those angels going up and down that ladder in the Old Testament. You know, that stairway that was connecting heaven and earth and the Lord. Uh, The great I am spoke to him when Jacob woke up. And this is what he thought. Genesis 28, 16, and 17. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Anyway, let's get to the outline and talk about the presence of the Lord and how that relates to revival because what does revival look like? Revival is an increased awareness of and experience of and a hunger for more of God's presence, God's power, God's purity, And God's passion that actually changes everything. Have you ever been surprised by the 3D presence of God? Now, when I talk about the presence of the Lord, I'm talking three-dimensional. And some of the like some of those new movies, you know, in 3D, well, the presence of God is three-dimensional. Let's start off with dimension number one. I just call it God's awesome presence. And it's really talking about the objective reality of God's presence, okay? We used to sing a song called, Our God is an Awesome Song. I remember when that song was new. I am getting old, I guess. You know, the word awesome is a contemporary adaptation of the word awful. You know, it's almost blasphemous to to say that God, God is awful. But what that means is this, he filled with awe. You know, awful, full of awe. Not something horribly bad. 
It was commonly used in relationship to our ultimate accountability before God, being required finally to answer to him on that great and terrible day, or as some versions say, that dreadful and awful day of the Lord. In other words, to face up to the frightening implications of standing before the awful presence of the eternal God who is holy, holy, holy. This is the dimension of God's presence that has lost its punch because of the theological dumbing down of the church in recent years, not to mention the erosion of the fear of God in the pride-filled vanity present in so much of our society. God's awesome presence is the objective reality that we call omnipresence. God is true to one of his own names, like I said before, Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord ever-present. And during times of revival, it seems that there is a greater awareness among believers as well as unbelievers of this awful, awesome presence of God that we cannot hide from God. And there's coming a day when all of us will stand before God's judgment seat and all of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Are we ready for that? You know, listen, listen, if you're running from God, you can't run from God because if you run from God, you're going to run into God because he's everywhere. He's everywhere. The psalmist cries out, Psalm 37 or 39 verse 7, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. You're everywhere, God. Hebrews 4.13 says, God uh, says, of God, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So, what should our response be to this dimension of God's presence, this awesome presence of God? Reverence. Repentance. That is to recognize God as omnipresent and all-seeing, that God is just and takes into account all we say and do, and that we will give an account for those words and deeds. So this awesome presence of God should cause us to worship God with reverence and to walk softly and humbly before him and to relate to others with love and justice and good works and to repent of our sin, or as Hosea would say in Hosea 10, 12, break up the fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness upon you. God's awesome presence. That's the objective reality of God. That's dimension number one. The second dimension of God's presence is what we call God's abiding presence, and that's the subjective reality of God. It's our subjective relationship with God that leads to intimacy. You know, God, he's the lover of our souls, right? And he pursues us. You know, he chases us down. He's the hound of heaven, not to punish us for what we've done, but to forgive us for what we've done in tenderness and warmth of personal relationship. And when you come to the end of yourself and when you realize that you cannot save yourself and that your sins separate you from a holy God and when you recognize that Jesus is real, he really did rise from the dead and he's real right now and that he loves you and that he really died on the cross and that he lived a life that you cannot live and he died a death that you cannot die, and that he really rose from the dead. And today, right now, in some mysterious way, through the power of the Holy Spirit, stands at the door of your hearts, knocking, seeking an entrance. And when you hear his voice, 
You turn from your own way and you accept him. You welcome him. You receive him. You invite Jesus to come into your life. And guess what? He will. And you might be surprised. He will forgive you. He will inhabit you. He will empower you. He'll make you brand new. A new creation. He'll make you spiritually alive. You will be different. And you'll start changing, really, from the inside out. And you will be a carrier of God's glory, like we talked about last week on Palm Sunday. You'll be a carrier of God's glory, of God's presence, of God's power. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. God's abiding presence. And so when repentance for sin and faith in Jesus brings us back to the Father, the Savior describes an entirely richer dimension of God's presence. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and what? Manifest myself to him. In other words, the presence of God will be real in your life. There is a distinct level of relationship with God deepened by such promises like Hebrews 13, 5. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Like Matthew 28, 20, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. God's abiding presence. It's an invitation to worship God in a way that brings about like personal intimacy, kind of a nearness and a dearness expressed in that old hymn. And Betty, I think this is your father's favorite hymn, right? That he's gone to be with the Lord, but he walks with me, right, in the garden, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, the abiding presence of God. Are you experiencing it? If not, you need to get right with God today. You need to get right with God today. You need to invite Christ to make his home in your heart. And Jesus just might surprise you, like he did that first resurrection morning. You see, the flow of truth regarding God's presence moves forward from Objective reality of God's awesome omnipresence, which relates to all humankind, to the subjective relationship of God's abiding personal presence by which he relates to all his redeemed, those who have invited Christ to make his home in their hearts. So what should our response be to God's abiding presence? Practice his presence. Remind yourself often that God lives in you if you're a real believer, Remind yourself, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Practice his presence. Talk to him often. You know, while you're driving, just keep your eyes open. You know, while you're working, while you're walking. You know, we're not only his servants, we're his friends. But we're more than his friends. We are his bride. We're his lover. And he desires us. Practice his presence His abiding presence. Grow in your intimacy with God. Listen to him. Open up that Bible. And say, God, speak to me. Speak a personal word to me, God. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to love you, God, with all my heart. I want to love you with all my soul and all my mind. And so God's awesome presence 
God's abiding presence. And last but not least, I want to say God's amazing presence. Supernatural reality of God's presence. Objective reality, subjective reality, but the supernatural reality of God's presence. His amazing presence. What does that mean? It means this. It means powerful encounters with God that blow us away with wonder. When God speaks, when God acts, when, when God shows up big time. But Dave, you said he's everywhere present. God is everywhere. What do you mean he shows up? Isn't he already here? Of course he's already here. But sometimes he just pulls back the curtain a little bit more. And he lets us experience him in powerful encounters. He wakes up the sleeping church. The lukewarm church with, with powerful encounters, burning bush encounters, like Saul on the road to Damascus. He saw the light. He heard the voice. And many times it's not in the bells and whistles and smoke. Remember Elijah, 1 Kings 19 at Mount Horeb, the Lord, Lord told him to go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by and There was an earthquake and there was wind and there was fire, but God wasn't in the earthquake and God wasn't in the wind and God wasn't in the fire. But there came this still, small voice, just a gentle whisper, and that was the Lord. And God has a variety of ways to get our attention with his manifest presence. I mean, look at Moses. You know, the manifest presence of the Lord changed his life. He was 80 years old, having spent the last 40 years of his life in in the lowest profession of the times. He was a shepherd. He was probably considered by all, including himself, as, you know, washed up and finished. (laughs) However, you read Exodus 3, that burning bush, he had to take off his shoes because he was standing on holy ground. One encounter, one encounter with the manifest presence of the Lord changed up this washed up old man into a spiritual giant who delivered a nation. You see, facts can change minds. My usual Easter sermon is to give evidence for the resurrection. You know, I'm going to prove to you out of the Bible that Jesus rose from the dead. That's good. That's fine. I'm glad there's evidence. Absolutely. But the, man, the manifest presence of the Lord not only changes minds, it changes hearts. Powerful encounters. Exodus 33 describes the tent of meeting. When Moses went into that tent, the pillar cloud, the pillar of cloud would come down and the Lord would speak with Moses and Moses was just like desperate for the presence of God and he said, "Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us up from here." The manifest presence of the Lord, cloud by day, fire by night, right? Then moving into the New Testament, Jesus Christ. He was the embodiment of the manifest presence of the Lord. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him. You talk about the amazing manifest presence of God. Jesus, the infinite God-man, and he proved he was God, right, by rising from the dead. And yet we read in Luke 5, 17, an interesting passage. The context is Jesus teaching 
with all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law present from all over the place. And Luke 5, 17 says, the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. I thought the power and presence of the Lord was already in and on the infinite God-man. But here the Bible says that the power of the Lord was present. That amazing presence of God. The manifest presence of God. Remember at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts 2, we read about this amazing presence of God, the day of Pentecost, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire were resting on their heads. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, 120 disciples praising God in languages that they didn't even know. And it seems that they were so overwhelmed with this power, with this presence, that it looked to outsiders like they were drunk. And Peter got up and said, hey, these guys aren't drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. What you see is happening, and it's a fulfillment of what Joel the prophet wrote about. In the last days, I'll pour out my, all, my spirit upon all flesh. The amazing presence of God, powerful encounters with God. And then there was Saul. I referred to him earlier, you know, who became the apostle Paul. His story is in Acts chapter nine. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, and there was this bright light, and then he fell to the ground. He heard a voice, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one who's still alive even today. He spoke to Saul, the amazing presence of God. And in times of revival, it seems that God manifests his amazing presence in amazing ways. Amazing ways. What should our response be? We should welcome his presence. We should be welcoming and calling out for God to manifest his presence in amazing ways. Like the early church in Acts 4. They prayed, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, Lord, look, at, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders might be done through the name of your servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the Bible says, the place they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Wow, you talk about a powerful encounter, amazing presence of God. Isaiah cries out, for God's power-filled, demonstrative working as well. Isaiah 64, 1 and 2. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence to make your name known among your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Do we really want to experience more of God's presence? Let me warn you, we cannot remain the same in God's presence. We will be changed Sin will be revealed to us and we will be forced to make a choice. Great conviction will be challenged to repent. The Lord is purifying his church, preparing his bride for his soon return. We were singing, yes, he'll come again. Absolutely. The late Dr. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, wrote what I feel was a very significant book entitled The Coming Revival. And uh, it's subtitled, America's Call to Fast and Pray and Seek God's Face. And he wrote that before he died. Um, and it was really prophetic. And 
Dr. Bright describes revival as a sovereign work of God in answer to sincere prevailing prayer in which he, number one, grips his people with deep conviction, repentance, forgiveness, and deliverance from personal sins. Number two, fills his people with the Holy Spirit and manifests in them the fruit and the graces of the Holy Spirit. Number three, fills the church and community with his presence and with his power. And number four, causes non-Christians to earnestly seek him. And then number five, ignites his people, young and old, with a passion to bring the lost to Christ at home and around the world. Well, Calvary, is this something that you want? Is this something that you will welcome? Is this something that you will call on the name of the Lord for? Rhonda Huey writes in her book, Desperate for His, for His Presence, three, these observations. A widespread cry is growing in the hearts of believers for a real, tangible encounter with God. They want, like Moses, to see him face to face. They don't want only to read about him or to talk about him or to pay homage to him on Sunday mornings. This strong undercurrent in our nation manifests itself as a holy dissatisfaction with the status quo of the institutionalized church. Many people who have attended church faithfully for years are now wandering around, disconnected from any collective expression of the body of Christ. In fact, George Barna estimates that more than 10 million born-again believers in the United States are now considered unchurched. People have become disillusioned and jaded. Many are unwilling to return to the local church in its current condition. And then Rhonda makes this insightful statement that we need to hear. What are people longing for? I believe it's the presence of God in the midst of his people. The manifestation of the nearness and the awareness of his love that is both real and relevant. The critical component to revival in the church and transformation in the community is the manifestation of Jesus, the risen Christ. People from all over the world are gathering to cry out to God and to labor together to seek his presence and the transformation of their communities. And I invite you to come to the National Day of Prayer on the first Thursday of, of the month of May and join with other believers in our community to call on the name of the Lord. We must become hungry and thirsty for more of Jesus in our midst. We must cry out in desperation for God's presence to be restored in our lives and in our churches and ultimately in our cities. We must treasure the manifest presence of God because Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. And I believe God is waiting in the wings. His presence is awesome. It's awful. His presence is abiding. He'll never leave us. His presence is amazing. He's waiting in the wings. Maybe even today he'll show up in an amazing way as we give our lives to Jesus. And if you choose to, he just might surprise you. You know, the Lord surprised me in 1972 when my brother shared his testimony with our family. He just totally changed our whole family. And then I can remember in the late 70s, Pastor Sam Graff uh, put his hands on my shoulders and 
looked at me. He said, might God be calling you to preach? And it was just, my, the whole direction of my life went in a different way. Just like, I guess so. You know, the manifest presence of God. Is God calling someone here to give their life to Christ? I want to invite you to crown him your Lord today, to crown him your Savior today. Let's stand. We're going to sing to him. And if you come, I just want you to come, and I'm going to pray with you right now. But if you'd like to sign this Bible of mine so I can pray for you, I I pray for people who make some kind of a commitment. But maybe you want to just say a prayer like this in your heart. God, I know that I'm a sinner God, I am so sorry. I have broken your law. I have not loved you with all my heart, my soul, and my strength. I've not done that, but I want to thank you, God, that you had a plan from before the foundation of the world that the Lamb of God would be slain. And I thank you for this awesome plan of salvation. I thank you that you loved me. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you live for me, that you are alive right now seeking an entrance into my heart and life. And you want to be my king And so as we sing, God, we just want to say, be our king. Be our king. Please come into my life and rule and reign on the throne of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. Amen. Amen.